0: Three shades off the bench to 19 yards! Tammy Abrahams in the middle! And what a finish that is! Mason Mann!
1: Hello and welcome back to the Chelsea Sport Podcast. I'm Orlando, I'm going to be your host today. Um, Make sure to check the description um, and click on all the links there to follow us on Twitter and Instagram and and all those lovely things. Um, Today, I'm very excited for this episode. Um, We've got a very special guest, Mr. Joe Tweedy. Um, His second time on the pod, I believe. We're going to do a bit of a review of, of this season, the Chelsea Academy, everything that went down over there. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Joe.
0: Hey guys, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh for, I think first time that I have done a a deep dive into the academy for for a while, so I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And obviously alongside us we have good old trusty Purry. How you doing, mate?
2: I'm doing great, mate. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done a podcast. I'm just happy to be back on it.
1: Yeah, likewise. All right, so uh let's get straight into it. There is a big talking point in the moment at the moment. Um it, well, it's not it's nothing to do with the season reviews. So I just I just say that we will get into a proper kind of review of the season in a second. But but just to kick things off, um there have been lots of rumors in the last couple of days um linking Ashraf Hakimi um currently of Inter Milan to Chelsea. Um and there has been lots of discussion over you know, what that means for Valentino Livramento's future, what that means for even Reese James's future. Is it a good idea considering Chelsea, you know, are unlikely to pay a back, a back three for ages because, you know, because of the volatility in managers um, and that sort of thing. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on it, guys, really. I mean... <laughs> The first thing I initially said when I first saw the rumours about a week ago was just, no, Hakimi, he's a fantastic player. I, I absolutely love him, but no, he's not going to be a good signing for, for Chelsea. Since then, I've realised that maybe there's a bit more nuance to it. I'm not so sure of that opinion anymore. Um, but yeah, Parth, what are your thoughts on, on that uh, potential transfer?
2: Uh, I'm with you. I think at first there's a complete no because we literally have someone in Libermento right there, and I guess that's the big elephant in the room. Um, and then I, even at the moment, to be fair, though, I'm, I am against the signing. However, I would be fine with it if we signed a midfielder and if we signed a striker um, before. But on the other hand, I don't think we can sign all three. And we, we we would like to talk about opportunities for academy. I mean, Tino has done some incredible things for the 23s, which I'm sure we'll get onto to later in this episode. And if we can't give it, if we can't give a chart, if we can't show to our Academy player of the season who's, that there is a pathway into the first team, then what is, will there ever be? And I guess that's, that's what's the most frustrating thing is that he's been so good. And it just seems like we're doing a Lampy situation again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we've learned from the lampty situation. We want to get him down to that contract, but what can you actually convince him with when you're signing a 70 million player in his position? Um so yeah, overall I- I'm not fully with the signing, but again, if Tucker wanted him and Tucker got him, then you gotta back him and you can't really complain if Tucker wants someone at the moment. So yeah, that's the way I'm thinking about it.
1: Yeah, I think you you struggle to complain as such if Chelsea sign like a world class player for 70 million. Well, you can complain about the fee, but Chelsea signing world class player in itself, you can't really complain about. But Joe, do you think there are things sort of deeper than that 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 would be cause for complaint?
0: Yeah, this is uh, this is definitely, I think, an interesting one for me. So from, from the sort of perspective of Hakimi as a player, um, I think I'm a little less sold on him than others. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I think, first of all, when it comes to sort of Chelsea fans and their kind of, I suppose, that the way that they've reacted to the news... About two, three weeks ago, I think I I put a poll out on Twitter. I think others have as well. And we were looking at what positions are of need and they were sort of centre mid, holding mid, centre forward and centre back. And yet now that we're linked with Hakimi, the right wing back spot apparently is a one that is is kind of, you know, of like enormous need. And we absolutely have to sign someone there. And it's been a massive weakness when probably three weeks plus ago, that was certainly not in anyone's kind of wheelhouse when it comes to sort of thinking an upgrade. And I think it slightly does show that from a Chelsea fan perspective that a lot of people are attracted to names. They want big name signings rather than looking at sort of what is the, the real kind of weakness within this side and i think just to sort of reinforce that somewhat i've got a few uh, a few numbers here because obviously i like to do my little statistical analysis in in comparison um and what i've got is i've got a, a premier league player and i've got uh, a player who uh is apparently going to be going for 70 80 million pounds in terms of you know in terms of of being sold this summer now i I'll, i I'll, i should probably say from the beginning that i'm not including goals and assists because I think that's fairly obvious in terms of who is who, but I'm just going to sort of include some of the, let's say some of the underlying metrics that I think interest me from a, from a wingback perspective. So I've got player A and player B Uh, they're both going to be the same. And then they're both on a per 90 basis. So it's sort of fairly even in terms of the comparison. I do appreciate that people will be annoyed at at sort of cherry picking stats and all that kind of stuff, but this is really just a a thought exercise and trying to illustrate the, uh, the differences and what I'm sort of trying to get at here is that in terms of um in terms of a player who is you know probably going to be sold for upwards of 70 million pounds I would kind of expect from a a sort of data analysis perspective them to be incredibly clear of of another player in the Premier League so I'm just sort of taking a look at some numbers here so if you look at key passes so again this is all on a, on a per 90 basis um player a has 1.22 per 90. Player B has 1.52. If we look at um, passes sort of progressing into the final third, we've got 2.03 versus 3.07. Passes into the penalty area, 1.69 versus 1.70. Accurate crosses into the penalty area per 90.71 versus 0.91. Progressive uh, passes, 4.19 versus 4.20. Shot creating actions, one of my favorite stats, 2.53 versus 2.81. Tackles one 1.01 versus 1.36 blocks 1.35 versus 2.20 uh, interceptions 0.84 versus 1.55 successful dribbles, uh, 53.7% on 2.26 attempts per game, uh, 75.5% on 2.01 attempts per game, uh, carries into the final third 1.72 versus 1.86 and then we have miscontrols and dispossessions 2.6 per 90 versus 1.51 so for those two kind of the first and second player that i just want to ask you guys which which of them is the 80 million pound 70 80 million pound player yeah so player b would be reese James and player a would be would be Hakimi this season so i i'm just trying to sort of make a little bit of a uh, maybe a little bit of finessed point here obviously when it comes to to goals and assists and even expected goals and assists um hakimi is is better in terms of underlying numbers but in terms of ball progression in terms of defensive metrics in terms of i think just overall kind of play the fact that it's it's difficult to discern between a player who is meant to be sort of mr creative mr um you know kind of uh the attacking sort of right wing back of, of all wing backs Versus a guy who seems to get a lot of stick from certain quarters for not being that attacking. Um, it's interesting that that Reese has some very very complete numbers when it comes to sort of per ninety metrics, um, and verse, certainly versus Hakimi, sort of beats him pretty much all of those statistical categories. Um, obviously, you know the 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 main reason that people are looking at Hakimi is the goals and the assist number, um, but then I would also suggest that uh, Robin Gosens at Atalanta has more goals and assists than Hakimi this season, and. You know, the, the, I think, I don't know if I'd call it Serie A tax or just sort of PTSD from Serie A signings, but if you look at wingbacks that have come from that, that league or paid in that league, you know, we, we've signed Marcus Alonso, we've signed David Zappacosta, we've signed Emerson Palmieri, you know, you look and look at Marcus, um, Victor Moses going there and playing for, for Conte and looking like an absolute superstar again, um, you know, uh, even Juan Cuadrado, who I think people would would never take back at Chelsea, turned into an incredibly effective wing back. So there are there are a couple, I think, of I wouldn't say alarm bells, but certainly I'm in in an attempt to try and balance the conversation a little bit on on Hakimi as a player. You know, the the goals and assists that he does have, where he does dominate in terms of statistical outputs, and certainly kind of what his game is built around. So much of that, I think, is predicated on a the league he's playing in but also the, the, the way that he's being used as a wing back. Chelsea use wing backs currently, given the, the sort of the two-thirds of our midfield really need this sort of support. They use them almost as wide midfielders. They use them as kind of wide fullbacks to defend wide areas, to, to sort of make the central areas compact, to make um, players like Jorginho and Kovacic not have to defend laterally in so much space. Um, they're almost effectively like a, a very, very wide fullback in this instance. The way that Hakimi is deployed, particularly within to having the three central midfielders, um, he is basically, uh, for all intents and purposes, an auxiliary winger. And I think his his attacking prowess, that his style of play, is it's fantastic in that system. But if you're then asking him to effectively babysit and and defend and make sure that the the wide channels are are kind of occupied and that he is helping out his midfielders, that he's stepping in and that he's being a little bit more of a one-on-one kind of defensive. Player. I think the, the thing that concerns me is people are assuming that this output from this super attacking system or super attacking position that he has is going to be replicated one for one at Chelsea when the game model and the instructions that the win backs have at Chelsea are entirely different. And I, I think to to the point that was made slightly earlier, in terms of you know not buying the midfield and not buying the striker, if Chelsea have a, a midfield pairing of, of Kovacic and Jorginho next season. We've seen that the success that they have had has come from this incredibly compact and very, very defensively rigid system that Tuchel has put in place. You have the three centre backs behind, you have the wing backs effectively defending the entire wide channels, stepping in, helping them defend um, sort of central areas, and obviously Mason Mount's kind of pressing game ahead and really, really protects them. If you're buying or you're spending £70 million on a wing back and you're asking him to effectively not play the way that he has done at Inter, then I think that for me is the first alarm bell in terms of the the game model and the shape, so as much as I think Hakimi i think he's a very good player in terms of what he can produce you know he's a good one on one player he's got more of that winger skill set that you would want in a a more of an attack minded wing back um the fact that he's going to be asked to be a lot more i think defensive to to sit deeper to not necessarily play to his natural game would first of all slightly concern me um and then from just sort of finishing up here from sort of livemento's sort of angry, I suppose, you know, this is a guy who is arguably probably the best under 20 wing back in world football. And I say that as someone who watches a lot of, you know, a lot of academy games and watches a lot of, of, of youth team football tournaments. I think it's, it's certainly within a, a realm of possibility that Livermanto is the best or among the best players, um, in, you know, in sort of that under 20 age bracket that, that, that plays that sort of position. So we're not talking about some sort of run-of-the-mill academy product here. We're talking about somebody who I think has shown, even in a, a difficult season for Chelsea, which we'll get on to, that he is head and shoulders above pretty much everyone else on the pitch when he plays. He's a difference maker. And that also kind of factors into when he plays for for England, at age groups as well. And the one thing I think certainly when it comes to socials that has... I don't. I don't want to say it's annoyed me, but it's it's perplexed me a little bit. You know, people are like, "Oh, just send him out on loan. He can go out on loan. He he's got one year left on his contract. You know, to 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 send him out on loan is it, it's perfect for him because he starts playing first in football. But he is never ever going to sign a contract extension at Chelsea um, that that ties him to the club beyond the rest of this season. If I'm his representative, if I am his agent, I'm either looking at staying at Chelsea for this year and get as much out of it as I can." And then having my choice of European clubs at the end of the season and to, to be absolutely clear, you know, the, the interest in Livermento is, is well, well established in Europe in terms of teams that would be after him. You know, it's, it's not just like, oh, he's going to go to like Doncaster Rovers. Um, you know, you've got all all Italian teams are after him. There's lots of teams in Germany that have massive interest in him. So he has his pick of, 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 really top European clubs. So this this whole like send him on loan, oh it doesn't matter, you know, because he can come back in two three seasons and compete. He he has nothing. There is no incentive for him as a player. I think as as was mentioned slightly earlier, when you buy a seventy million pound player, we've seen it under probably every manager bar Lampard that that player will get preferential treatment every single time because you know somebody's invested money and there is somebody's job on the line in terms of determining that this player must have opportunities. A must-play at the club. So Livermento is never ever going to get a a, a a real opportunity in the team when you have a 70 million player ahead of him. Now, for some people, that that's fine. That's absolutely fine. You know, Hakimi is the here and now, he's, he's he's the he's the talent, he's the player. Um, I think it's very clear that Chelsea are now uh, kind of in you know win win now, quote unquote mode. So buying in a, a player of that ability is is you know, for, for these people, this is the be or and end or we must sign him, etc. Um, but I think the thing that I would say is that the, the the real success that we've had recently has been predicated on academy players playing, not only just sort of filling in and, and doing well, but actually starting and becoming established members of the team. You know, you look at the Champions League, you've got everyone from Andreas Christensen, even to sort of Tammy in the group stages, obviously all the way through to guys like Mason and Reese and, and Callum as well played their part. If we are sort of now kind of shutting that door, on that sort of developmental pathway, then again, you have to absolutely be certain about the the recruitment. And what I said, I think Hakimi is a very, very talented player. Unless Chelsea change the way they play and unless they change the way that they use their wing backs, you know, if if he is going to be super, super aggressive, high up the pitch, et cetera, then we're gonna have the same issues in midfield that we had under Lampard, that we had under Sarri, that we've, that we've seen previously where, you know, you're asking players to play in a larger area of space and then they're more responsible for, or more comfortable for. Um, and am are kind of a little bit sort of taking a, a backwards step there. So, you know, I think it, it's, it's, a, it, you know, it's a good signing. I think Chelsea have just sort of looked at the market and, and kind of seen Inter need to sell. And were maybe sort of just taking advantage of sort of the, the, the situation that's presented themselves like playing, you know, play what you see in front of you, all those sort of old kind of cliches. Um, but I do think a little bit when it comes to this particular position, the fact that it wasn't really a priority until we got linked with him, I think always is a little bit suspect me with a fan base. Um, and also, I think again, you know, if you want to create pathways for players, I think Reece James is is more than good enough um, to to sort of play in that position until uh, you know Liverpool potentially is is ready for for an opportunity. Um, but I think uh, you know, kind of what I've sort of been saying there is that this this win now mode that the club are obviously in. You know, if you're being linked with strikers for like a billion gajillion pounds, which we seem to be you know sort of buying the, the small GDP of a country to, to be linked to Erling Haaland then, you know, you're going to try and get the the best players possible. So, you know, Hakimi, I think, yeah, you're a good player, but I would question whether really that sort of money, 60, 70 million pounds could be better spent, you know, elsewhere. If you want a creative player, if you want to have somebody who's going to influence the play, you're looking at 70, 80 million pounds. I mean, that's kind of around what Jaden Sancho is going to cost from, from Borussia Dortmund. So why not just go and get the actual full-on creative player and keep that pathway open for somebody like uh, like Livermento. Um, and it's not just Livermento, it's a knock-on for other players as well. We have an absolute ton of really talented centre-backs coming through at the moment. You know, w- what is the message that is sent to those guys? What about guys in midfield that we've got coming through as well? What, what is the message that is communicated to them? I think, as, as you were saying, just to sort of finish up here, the, the fact that your Academy Player of the Year is possibly in a position now where he has not only Reese James ahead of him, who, you know, I think that that, that is just a, a byproduct of the fact that James has been so good. But then potentially on top of that, you know, you've already got the club captain, but now you're going to have a 70, 80 million pound player as well. I'm not sure what kind of message that sends to the rest of the academy because it feels a little bit, you know, like you know, we've probably had discussions in the past that we're going back to, to square one. And then that also Puts enormous amounts of pressure on Chelsea's recruitment to get every single signing correct because you're not allowing yourself that the freedom in terms of the finances and the freedom in terms of development that obviously trying to give an academy product some opportunities there would present so it puts massive pressure on on Hakimi on whoever else is coming into the team to be absolutely perfect from day one um otherwise again you're looking at this almost i'm not going to say an enormous waste of, of money um but in terms of blocking a pathway of somebody who is incredibly talented you know, you are setting a precedent for the rest of the academy. And we are a little bit coming back to the times where we've seen Chelsea recruit poorly, not give opportunities to players. And then we've obviously seen the, the effects of that sort of post uh, post sort of Conte's title win. You know, this is the fourth season now where we've been absolutely nowhere domestically. Appreciate that the Champions League is, is a slightly different beast and it, it's a slightly different setup and approach there. But domestically, you know, fourth season in a row now where we've been absolutely nowhere in terms of the league. And that partly comes down to recruitment. And I think also partly comes down to down how to Chelsea allocate their their resources. So, you know, if we if we get Hakimi and we don't end up getting a, a centre midfielder, we don't end up getting that that upper tier, kind of upper echelon centre forward, you're going to have to be questioning, well, could, could we not have spent that 60, 70 million pounds elsewhere and, and made slightly better use of it? So I think kind of the sort of summing it up, I think, yeah, I think Hakimi is, is a very good player in the right system. Um, I question whether that, that system is something that is replicated in Chelsea's use of wingbacks at the moment. I also think a little bit that the kind of positioning of him as this sort of all conquering, all world, all elite player. When you look at some of the underlying metrics when it comes to build up phase and defensive phases, for me, it's not quite there when it comes to to that level. I'm not sort of on the on the board that he is this, you know, kind of game changing Premier League winning talent. Um but so I think in terms of the the way that Chelsea play, the creativity that is needed from those flanks, he definitely has more of that winger skill set. He definitely has more of the ability to play in 1v1s. Definitely is more comfortable being in a slightly more attack-minded area than I would say Reese or, or probably other players. But for £70 million, I would expect to, to get somebody who is utterly, utterly, utterly world-class in in at least one area. And if you're looking at his, his goals and assist tally, I mean, I'm not somebody that normally takes assists as a measure of creativity. Um, but his expected assists and his expected goals, you know, he, he's, he's probably going to get you probably around about 10 goals a season, which for 70 million pounds seems pretty, I don't know, pretty extortionate to me, but from, from that area of the pitch is, is probably worthwhile uh, an investment. Um, it's just a question for, you know, in terms of how much money we're willing to spend on that area. If we spend upwards of 70 million pounds, um, you know, I think it's, it's going to be interesting for me. I'm just going to leave it sort of in, in terms of it being interesting because I think what I've tried to outline is that the way Chelsea play at the moment and the way that Hakimi plays into Milan, you know, they're both wing backs, but they're very, they're used in very, very different ways. You know, Hakimi is the attacking impetus at Inter. He is the outlet. He is the the main source of width. He doesn't necessarily have to focus that much on being defensive, looking at his defensive positioning, covering for midfielders. Whereas I think at Chelsea, when it, it's Reese or whether it's even Chilwell on the other side, they're kind of first, you know, they're they're sort of first real I suppose usage in terms of the, the the team is to really make sure that that midfield area is solid, particularly in sort of those wide areas. So, the, the change of of tactics and the change of responsibilities. I'm not saying that that Hakimi can't perform it, but it's just something that I've not seen him not seen him do. Um, and to spend upwards of seventy million pounds on someone, I would want to be you know, within 99% certainty that this guy is going to be absolutely excellent. If Chelsea change how they play and they, they they accept more risk and they play with more freedom next season, then of course, absolutely, I think Hakimi would make sense. And maybe that, that the signing is a nod to the fact that, that Tuchel wants the team to be a little bit more open. Um, but at the moment, with the current tactics and the current setup and the fact that we're, we're currently not really being linked to anyone in midfield, I would be... I would be curious to see how how we incorporate far more attack it or far more attack minded wingbacks when the midfield is still such a a big sort of focus of the pitch. So fairly long answer there. It's just I've, I've not really spoken about it that much, but I just thought I'd give something fairly complete in terms of I think Hakimi's fit into, into the current system, current squad, but also from Livermento's perspective that there is no way that this kid who has you know so many clubs after him is going to wait for you know 3 4 seasons to get an opportunity when his contract runs out next june so yeah it's an interesting one um i personally would would prefer to use the money elsewhere if it's if it's about creativity getting a creative player for 70 80 million pounds i'd be looking at jaden sancho um not sure really why all of a sudden that the the white wing back spot has become this massive spotlight an absolute gigantic need when i think as i said a couple of weeks ago it, it was def- definitely more of a of a center back that people were focusing on so i think we've been caught up a little bit by the name by by the star power that hakimi has um but yeah of course if he comes we'd be happy to happy to see him play happy to see what he can do I just think I'm just trying to balance and maybe temper some of the enthusiasm that people are saying because for that sort of money you, you want a well-beater, and I have a little bit of uh, reservations, particularly when you compare him to what Reece James has actually done this season. Um, there is there are some reservations in terms of how how Hakimi fits into fits into the the, the, the current setup and probably the, the future setup for me as well.
1: No, I completely agree. I think you, you say there that you know you do have some reservations over whether Hakimi is going to be or is that kind of top-level elite player. But, you know, let's say even if he was, right, it's still that kind of opportunistic transfer approach from Chelsea that we've become so accustomed to seeing over the years. And it's so frustrating, particularly from an academy point of view. You know, if you want, if Tuchel does want to kind of, you know, play a bit more of a free-flowing attacking approach in this same shape next season, as you say, you know, play Callum Hudson-Odoi there, you know, his numbers have been excellent when he's played a right wing back, I mean, I, I would much rather him playing, you know, in a position that suits his skill set best, but you know, he's going to be good there if you want more of an attacking approach, particularly against smaller teams, you know, you've got Reese James, you've got, as we, we've we mentioned, Livermento coming through, I just think it would be, <laughs> it. he's a great player, right, but it would just be such, it wouldn't be a waste of money, but it would be such a waste of resources when you've got Someone like Declan Rice available. Someone like Aurelian Shuamani, who would completely change our dynamic in midfield, completely change how we look as a team. Um, and you know, as you mentioned, J- Jaden Sancho also available for you know, you know, not much more than ha- however much Akimi would come for. So, yeah, I think really the thing that frustrates me the most about it is that it's kind of like, oh, he's so good, he's available, we can't miss out on him. I think it's also somewhat similar to to the the um the thoughts that Chelsea need a number nine. I mean, like if Erling Haaland wasn't available, I don't think you'd hear many people saying that because Kai Havertz has been really good there this season. And we've also got Tammy Abraham. So I think, yeah, I would much rather <laughs> see some planning in terms of transfer strategy from Chelsea. Um, You know, that, that would be nice. Um Not sure if we're going to get it, but, but yeah, I mean, let's move on from that because th- I think that was a very comprehensive review of the situation. Um, onto the main section of the pod. Um we're gonna begin with the under eighteens. Uh we saw for the first few times this season actually um in, in years Chelsea showing some under eighteen games live on their channels which is really nice to see. Um obviously aside from the FA Youth Cup which has always been shown, but the the league games under eighteen Premier League, that they've been nice. Um but this is a fantastic crop, isn't it? I remember when you came on last time, Joe, we, were, we, we mentioned a few of these guys, Jude Sunsup Bell, uh, Charlie Webster. But one guy that's really fascinated me, um, and I've loved watching him, is Joe Hay. Um, and he's just recently signed, um, I think, a four-year contract extension. It, it was expiring this summer um and thankfully he he signed an extension which I'm really excited about and and he's a player who really excites me i, I wonder if you have any thoughts on him and, and his season because he honestly he, it's it's looked like he's kind of carried this team at times this season
0: yeah i'm i'm glad you mentioned the contract so i know uh, joe's agent personally so i was i was actually wondering whether it was public news yet yeah, i was mm. trying to keep that to myself um but glad <laughs> it is it's been public um yeah he <laughs> He, for me, I think, has been, I think, one of the surprises of the season, really, because I didn't really expect him to be at this level so soon. Um, and, and for sort of, I think, sort of setting the scene here, um, when I sort of say reminds me of, I just sort of, you know, I have to caveat this with because people assume when I say reminds me of that, I mean, that this is a projection that they're, that they're going to have the same career. But he reminds me so much of Andres Iniesta, the way that he plays he has this sort of very languid kind of very laid back ability to almost dribble through midfield in slow motion and dribble around people and beat people and, and play too fitted. And, and it's almost at times like he, you know, th- th- they're playing a training game and the instruction is that they they play at half speed and he's the only one who's moving kind of in full, at full speed. Um, but I think from, from a, a kind of a development standpoint, his progress from last season to where he has ended this year you know, I think that the the four-year contract fully, for me, kind of reinforces the point that he is probably now considered to be one of the better players in that age group and certainly one of the more interesting players. You know, this is a guy who can play centre mid. I've seen him play a bit of six this season. He's a great number 10, um, you know, completely two-footed, has a beautiful kind of balance to his game, you know, lovely weight of pass. But it, it's the it's the kind of the, the sort of wriggly dribbling ability. That's the only way I can really kind of describe it that I think sets him apart. And he almost has that kind of Spanish kind of Lamazia kind of feel to him when you watch him play, you know, his ability to kind of shoulder feint and shimmy and drop the shoulder and, and just sort of kind of glide around people like they're sort of not really there. Um, and it, it's, you know, one of those things where you, you look at his, his physical kind of build and his size, you think, ah, oh, you know, what, what's, what's he going to be sort of in the adult game, but he's got such an incredible way of, of carrying the ball and, and it's not just sort of these kind of you know aesthetic carries where nothing happens. It's it's ball carrying to then progress the ball to to a striker, to a winger, to whoever it may be, to play a really good pass, you know, to to get on the end of 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 opportunities. You know, he's a really good finisher. Um so I think his his kind of growth into this sort of kind of incredibly well rounded and very, very kind of I, I want to say that he's quite unique just in the style that he plays kind of very well-rounded, very unique kind of ability that he has. You know, when you look at teams who who struggle in the final third, and I'm not just referencing Chelsea's first team here, but certainly at sort of academy level as well. Um, you know, we've seen this season that I think Chelsea have actually played teams now who are, you know, they're not necessarily playing to develop players. They're playing for results and they're actually, you know, they're defending with two banks of, of five. They're they they're sitting in They're they're playing with low blocks, which is not something I've always seen academy-level football. But when Chelsea have faced teams that are honestly coming to play them with the intent to try and strangle the game and to draw, you know, watching him kind of unlock those those moments and those opportunities, his ability to find the little cute pass, to, to to create a little bit of magic with with his ball control, with his ability to beat players. Um, you know, that that sort of skill set is incredibly rare. And I think the way that he, is, he has performed this season and the way that he has really kind of developed into, I think, as you say, one of the the sort of the the stars and and the, the the real kind of talismanic figures of this group, I think, is is testament to him and his development. But I don't want to say that he's a late bloomer because I think he's always been talented. But now we're starting to see that talent really kind of produce and actually you know, start to, A, put some very, very good numbers up in terms of his goals and assist numbers. Um, but also that he is becoming somebody that I think the rest of the group look to to help break down some of these more stubborn teams. So I think, again, yeah, really good player to start off with in terms of highlighting some of the key performers. And I think his his kind of next step is going to be to see whether, you know, in the next two seasons, probably he needs a year of of under-23 football to be sort of adjusted at that level. But then in the next maybe two, three seasons to see whether this this kind of very unique skill set that he has, particularly with his his kind of body shape, whether that translates to to adult football. Because he has all the vision and creativity that you would want from somebody that could do this at the highest level. But for me, it's just a question of of the the physicality side of things because he is quite a sort of slight guy. Um but I think from what we've seen so far, certainly when he plays against you know, under 18s and, and when he plays against sort of his own age group, that, that really isn't a concern for him. So I think long term, it's going to be a question of just seeing how he develops physically, but he has the, the mental and the technical attributes already for me to be somebody that could. Unlock some of those, uh, you know, defensive issues that some teams face now. Um, you know, in a, a League One team, a League Two team, or or, or potentially, uh, you know, if if you could find him in probably two, maybe two, two, possibly three years, a good loan in the Championship. I think those are kind of the areas that he will be looking at in terms of the next steps for him.
1: yeah completely agreed. I think he's really this season kind of turned himself into a bit of a talismanic figure for that under-18 yeah, side. And I'll yeah. be excited to see to see how that kind of if that. Translates over to the under 23s, which I'm sure he'll be moving up to next season. Um, but another player actually in the year group below Hay, um, did start the season in the under 18s alongside him, but soon moved up to the 23s. Um, Harvey Vale, he's been another standout performer this season. What, what do you make of his his performances, uh, Path? Yeah, he, he's oh, oh, sorry, he... no, go,
2: go, sorry. Okay, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, I, I think he's been brilliant. I think he's been really good and he's, he's been chucked around in a few positions. Well, he played left wing back. Um, I actually, th- I personally, I've had this debate on the timeline a little bit, but I personally think he's better centrally, uh, a bit more centrally number eight or the number 10, uh, than he is out wide. But I can certainly see why they've played him there. Um, and his sort of breakthrough into the 23 sort of reminds me of how, um, Livermore was, uh, last year. Now, I, I, I've been very public about this, but about two years ago, I wasn't, too keen on Tino and I was like okay where's the end product and where's the decision making and that came out of one well I wouldn't say out of nowhere because he probably always had it but I definitely saw it and then improvement and then now he's one of the best players the academy's ever seen Tino and I've, I've really seen that with Harvey you know like he's broken in he's so young and he's still got so much to offer um, and he's been in the second half of the season 23 he was a standout performer and almost every game as well with him and Tino. So, uh, yeah, no, I've, I've been really impressed with him.
1: Yeah, completely agreed. I think, the, you know, he has played out wide, left wing back mainly for the for the 23s, and that's actually because there was a bit of a, a lack of left footers in the side, um, apart from Lewis Bate in midfield and George McEachran as well. So, you know, they've needed someone to play that role. Um, and I do like the fact that instead of kind of shoehorning in, they've looked at, looked for someone to play that that role who can play it more naturally, rather than just thinking, oh no, he's maybe not as far in his development, a worse player. We're just going to play a better player in, a, in an unnatural role. I like that they're playing, you know, going for that sort of naturality in the system. Um, but. Um, Moving on to, to slightly older, because we covered, you know, some of the other standout performers in the under 23s last time you came on, Joe, um in Sunset Bell and Webster. So, so we'll leave them be for now. But um there were three top performers I felt um in this season for the under 23s who will all almost certainly be looking to go out on loan next season. And, and that's Levi Colwell, Henry Lawrence and Lewis Bates. I mean, these guys are, are just fantastic, aren't they?
0: Yeah, I think those are, those are the three people I think that you're looking at now to, to go and have a, uh, a kind of season now playing playing professionally against adults. I think that is the next step for them. Um, Cole Will, I am just an enormous fan of. Um, I thought it was funny that people were, who were maybe a little less familiar with him saw this kind of absolute monster turn up in Chelsea training with like quad, <laughs> quads the size of, you know, like a professional bodybuilder. <laughs> And I was getting like messages from friends, like who who's the who's the kid that looks like he's eaten all the other centre backs. I was like, yeah, that's uh, that's that's Levi Cowell. Um, yeah, fairly fairly decent from a physical standpoint. Just just before you get into things, um, but I think from from my perspective, Levi is he's probably one of my favourite players that's come through. Not only because I I just think that he he has a- already like like a Tino, like a Ruben coming through. He has the physical skill set now to play against men. He's just an early developer. He is an absolute tank. You know, he's got all the power. He's got great pace and acceleration. But then when you actually really look at him as a player, the most outstanding attribute, even if, you know, you're looking at him, you think, oh, this is just a really big physical kid. The best attribute that he has is his defensive kind of acumen, his intelligence as a footballer is miles ahead of most people that I've seen play for Chelsea. The last player that I saw that had the kind of intelligence that he had was Mark Gurhey at that sort of age. You know, he could could read the game. Gohe was almost like two steps ahead of the opposition. And I see games this season where where Colwill is is so cerebral in the way he approaches things. He's reading the play absolutely superbly. You know, he uses his athletic traits to his advantage. He's not reliant upon them to be a good player. And I think that's one of the differences that I see with him and maybe other players who have got that sort of physical skill set is that Colwill kind of engages it and uses it because he is so sort of smart in terms of where the game is moving. You know, he's, he's so kind of aware, um, and he, he uses his physical traits to then kind of react to the information that he's processing. He's also incredibly good on the ball. He's a fantastic passer. I think he's great at bringing the ball out of play, obviously sort of, you know, being able to, to, to play from the left-hand side with, with a, with with his left foot, I think is such an absolutely enormous thing. He has such a good, I think, ability to hit wing backs, to play the ball into midfield, to play depth into, into strikers. Um, I think that he will go on loan somewhere and maybe not right away, but I think probably from January onwards, I think a team is really going to fall in love with him and look to try and get him for for another season. You're arguably looking for something similar to to Gerhuis kind of loan with Swansea where he goes for a season, you know, he kind of fills himself out. And then in that second year, he absolutely just completely destroys it. So I think Colwell is certainly one that I have an eye on because again, you know, not only can he play in a back three as a left-sided player, but he also, I think, has been very good as, as part of a, a centre-back pairing in the back row as well. Um, I'll talk about sort of Lawrence for a bit as well. I think everyone knows that he's one of my favourites. Um, I'm curious as to where he will play in sort of a, a kind of a first-in capacity away from Chelsea because I think we've, we've spoken about this before in terms of his, his versatility can be both seen as sort of an absolute insane asset also potentially something that maybe is held a little bit against him in the sense that maybe he is, you know, a seven, eight out of ten in, in like six, seven, eight positions, rather than maybe like a nine or ten out of ten in just one. Um so I'm I'm curious to see where he's going to to be deployed in adult football because we know that I think he's an exceptional fullback. I think he can play um, you know, he can play a wing back role. I think he's great in central midfield, playing as a six, he can play as a number eight. You know, you probably put him in goal and you're probably going to get a performance out of him. So I mean, you know, he is he, he's unique in that sense. But I, I'm curious to see, A, where the club and where the club that he's going on loan see him, what what kind of positions they want to play him in. And also just whether that versatility is either kind of deemed a positive or held against him a bit. And the last one, I think we mentioned Lewis Bate. Now, I, I love Lewis. I absolutely love him. He is... Almost for me, the reincarnation of Jody Morris. You know, I appreciate I'm quite a bit older than you guys, so you know Morris was also kind of a diminutive sort of central midfielder who was very tenacious, but also very technically gifted. And whenever I see Lewis play, I, I kind of remind myself back to when Jody was sort of breaking through into into Chelsea's first team. You know, undersized but was superbly aggressive and had such an incredible ability to to play on the ball. Um, I think from, from Lewis's perspective, it, again, it's going to be trying to find a team that that is happy to have somebody who doesn't have the the kind of the natural, you know, five, ten, eleven, six foot, whatever it's going to be, size in midfield, but somebody who is going to be super aggressive in terms of 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 winning the ball back, but also give them, I think, probably more quality and more technical ability in the middle of part than, than what they probably will have. So, you know, bait standout qualities for me are always the fact that I think You know, he is a passer, but he is an aggressive passer, he has confidence in his ability to pick out difficult passes, to find players in in tight spaces, to to play into pockets of space. You know, he's got a lovely ability to kind of wriggle free in midfield and create passing angles for himself. The only knock on him, and I said, you know, the only knock on him is the fact that he's you know what five foot or something like that. <laughs> he's not five foot, but I mean, you know, for, for a modern a modern central midfielder, you know, he is he is quite short, even though he's quite stocky and quite well built. It's just going to be the question of of height, particularly you know, in the football league, it's going to be a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more up in the air. I don't, I have no questions about him adapting to the aggressiveness and the aggression needed to play at that level. You know, he does have that kind of spiky side. He does put his foot in. He does like a challenge. Um, but it's just a question of, of the the height aspect for me, because I think technically, you know, he does have such a really interesting, you know, interesting kind of toolkit, really, when it comes to midfield play. Um I think again, you, you're going to want to try and send him to a team that that A wants to play football, but also B is not so concerned that he isn't this, you know, six foot three kind of Trevor Chalabar kind of clone in terms of the, the physique that you have in midfield. You know, Bait is is for me more of a, a kind of classic um kind of like a classic century midfielder. and just doesn't, as I said, just doesn't have the height maybe that you would want, but in terms of his his technical ability, in terms of his his defensive ability, his work rate, also his leadership, and I think the fact that he's such a, a a kind of positive influence on the pitch in terms of him being able to like create energy in his teammates. You know, the, all those kind of intangible things. I think he has in 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 absolute spades in terms of you know the the ability that he has. So he's another one that I'm really curious to see because I think if he goes to the football league and cracks it and, and isn't sort of physically overshadowed, this is another guy that you know you're looking at sort of possibly, maybe, maybe Premier League's a bit too soon, but then could, you know, certainly go and play at a, a decent championship level and then eventually move into the Premier League. And I think he he has a lot, um, you know, I think he's got a lot in terms of what he can do in his future ahead of him. So the only question now is, and again, it's a fair question we've seen it asked of other players, it's just now, can he handle the physical demands of, of adult football? If he aces that, then I think the the future for him is is incredibly bright.
1: Yeah, I'm completely agreed. I think, I don't have any concerns over whether he'll kind of match the aggression in terms of a uh, uh, in the mental side of things He's a know? lunatic I mean, he he's definitely <laughs> gonna be up for all the challenges he's gonna be going up for every header even if he's got no chance of winning it, but it's just whether the physical side of his of his skill set will match that yeah um, and you know that may be something that's sort of out of his control it's gonna depend a lot on. Well, first first and foremost, the team that he ends up playing for. Um, but also the opposition, um, and and game state and that sort of thing. So I think yeah, there there are lots of different scenarios that he could find himself in next season and he needs to be very careful that, you know, it's it's the right one, the right club. Hundred um, percent. You know, there are plenty of teams in in the football league who like to, you know, play possession football, who like to let's say minimize the aerial duels but then there are lots of teams who who you know will will come to a team and say look we're just going to play head tennis today so uh, and you know no no slight on them for that because it is an effective strategy so um yeah i think he needs to be careful with that but if he does get it right then then as you say i think really the sky's the limit um in terms of how far he can go um moving on to two more two more top performers um, for the 23 this season. There's one guy who I particularly want to talk about um, and sadly, well, maybe not sadly because I think it's a good move for his career, but he's not going to be at Chelsea next season. He's moved on um, signing a four-year contract at Royal Union uh, saint gilloise um, in Belgium who have just been promoted to the top flight over there. That, that's Marcel Lewis, obviously. Um, he's been one of my favourite players to watch um, in the academy for the last one or two seasons. I think Honestly, not even just at academy level. I think in in world football, he's one of the best pressers I've ever watched. Like this guy, he he does not stop running. He never gets his angles wrong. He he's just incredible. Um, but you know, he's not one of those guys who's just gonna be kind of running around like a headless chicken. And then when he gets the ball, he's just gonna punt it out for throwing. He's he's got really good, really impressive technical skill set. You know, he can pass off both feet um he, he knows how to beat a man he's got a great low center of gravity um a good ball striker takes takes some good set pieces too and, and i'm really looking forward to watching him out in belgium because i think it's a league that will really suit him in terms of his development um you know uh sanjula sorry san um they have uh, a link to to brighton and that tony bloom is the owner of both teams so that could be something that, that we keep an eye out on uh in the future but i mean that four-year contract that does suggest that they they value him quite highly and and they think he has a lot to offer in the future. So so that's a good sign and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does over there. And then the other one who um, has popped up with loads of goals um, this season at important points, Miles per Harris. I wonder if you've got any thoughts on him, Path?
2: Yeah, I mean the what the one which springs to mind is that incredible game against Spurs um, when we won 3-2 after a comeback when he scored the third goal and Marcel actually assisted him and he just tucked in the corner beautifully and uh, Miles is an interesting one because he sort of he sort of, he glides on the pitch and sometimes it seems like he's not doing anything but he does do things and I don't want to he sort of he sort of fits into that stereotype what Ruben had many years ago from the fan base that like, oh he doesn't run the same with even Kai Havertz who probably had in the first six months here it, that's probably due to the similar build um, but it will be interesting to see because I feel like Miles is too good for the 23s but I don't know I'm also I, I felt I just felt that like he could have done a bit more this season um because but he has turned up in big games as well um so Mars is an interesting one because we all know the talent he's got and he's he's a goal-scoring midfielder and that's that's one of the biggest like values in football to be honest um so there is talent in there and i'll, I'll open that up to joe what do you what do you think on Mars? because it's been baffling me for some time
0: yeah he's uh he's been a favorite of mine for a couple of years i think people will know that maybe the past couple, maybe two three seasons of previews, I've always kind of singled him out as, as not only a player who, I think anyone who, who knows me will know that I am obsessed with trying to get a double barreled surname Chelsea 11. So he obviously he's been, he's been on the radar for a while because of that. But, um, yeah. And I think this, I don't know if it was this season or last season, might've been the battle sort or of the midpoint of last season. He had this enormous growth spurt, which, you know, I think the parallels to Ruben in his career, you know, I think people were like, he went from like 5'10". He's like six one, six two 6'2". Now I think Miles, he's, he's very tall compared to what I, I last saw him. Um, mm. I think again, a little bit of adjustment has been had for him to sort of get used to his body with such an enormous growth spurt, but the, the parallels to Ruben, I don't think you know in some cases I think people are a little bit lazy in terms of comparing players Tino Andrin is another one who obviously gets the, the Ruben comparison but Miles probably is is one that I think it's it's fairly apt in terms of making that comparison um and it's probably because I think development football is just too easy for him at times you know you want to maybe see him play in a slightly different environment where he stretched more um and, and I think that hopefully comes this season because I think even this year, you could have made the argument that he could have maybe gone out on loan from January, you know, got, got a, you know, a couple of months of, of first team football under his belt. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see where he plays because I think the one thing that he has that maybe Ruben kind of didn't coming out of the academy is I think that from, from Miles' perspective, I think he's a little bit better off the ball than Ruben in terms of how he can defend. And I think he's maybe has more of a, a natural ability to play in central midfield. I think Ruben was kind of more of like a hybrid eight, number 10. You know, he was uh, one of the reasons that, you know, people were saying that he wasn't getting paid is because of his off the ball work and all this sort of stuff. I don't know if that's necessarily something that I would agree with, but just in, in terms of highlighting it, I think at this point of his career, Miles is a little bit better off the ball in terms of his ability to, to press and to work back. Um, but I, I do think that a team, certainly a team that plays with, with three in midfield, um, I think a team that that is in in League One or maybe even sort of a low down kind of Championship side could use him as one of their sort of number eights because I think, as you're saying, his his finishing ability for a midfielder is fantastic. I think he's actually incredibly creative. He's got a very nice eye. You know, he's got a great eye for a pass. Um, and then when you actually look at sort of his his kind of technical game and then put it in the the, the body that he has. You know, you've got another player who is ready, for me, he's now ready made to play adult football. You know, he's got good size, He's very, he's got stocky, he's got great strength and power. But then you add in the fact, as you say, that he can, he can probably for me, you know, score, you know, get you 10 goals a season. He can get you five to 10 assists. You know, he can be a kind of creative influence for midfield. Um, but it's all about the lone destination now. If you, you know, we, we've made the mistakes in past by sending Midfielders to teams who play, you know, back to front have absolutely no need for a midfield. We need to find a team that that wants to build through the first, that wants to play football. I think maybe, you know, in today's kind of era, it is probably a tiny bit easier to find a team that wants to play that kind of style of football in the football league. You know, you have more managers who are trying to play that style of play. But if you again send him to a team that is just there to sort of crash and run and kick and run and, and play, you know, two hundred miles an hour, I don't think you're going to get the best out of him because you want to get him on the ball. You want to make him almost be kind of one of the focal points from a playmaking perspective when you have the ball. Um, so I think from from my perspective, it's it's going to be trying to identify the right team for him so that he can go there and and play the kind of football that he's used to, but then sort of do it in a more kind of obviously pressurized environment, playing against adults every single week. And then we I think we'll take a a, a sort of view on, on where he is at the end of the season. But somebody like Conor Gallagher is maybe a good person to to use as a sort of blueprint there. Maybe you send him to like a lower half championship team. Hopefully he performs well. Maybe then you could send him to somebody who's competing for the playoffs, see what happens. And then, you know, this season we've seen. Uh, Connor obviously do well at West Brom. So yeah, um, tricky, I think, to see where he's going to be because, you know, it's 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 always difficult for me to kind of try and, I, I suppose, predict where central midfielders are going to end up, especially given that there are so many different variations of system. Chelsea kind of play two sort of holding players at the moment. We may play with three central midfielders next season. You know, there, there's so much kind of nuanced into that, that particular area of the pitch. But it's just a question of finding the right team for him. And just a, a very, very sworn on, on, on Marcel uh, Lewis. I think, again, you know, a, a really, really good move for him. I think that he has been moved with a view to try and develop him for Brighton. Um, you know, he has, I think you're right, in terms of his his actual kind of off the ball work as a, as a kind of forward or turn or wherever you want to play him, it is... Just it's just insane. I've not I've not seen it really done that well for for you know for for any kind of player in that age group at Chelsea. Um, and again, you know, this is a guy who has all of the pace and he's got trickery. He can find a pass, you know. And I think for him, it's it's a really really good career move to go early and and see you know what he can do in a in a, a league that produces very good players and players that eventually. Often come to to the Premier League and do well, so I'm hopeful for him that he can actually now kickstart his career, um, showcase his talents. But I think again, you know, if you if you're a player or if, sorry, if you're a coach that has him in your squad, you know, you're going to absolutely fall in love with him because they're, they're, you know a lot of forwards you have to like you know carrot and stick you know kind of beat them to sort of you know do some of the off the ball stuff. I think with Marcel, it's just such an internal part of his game. That you don't have to motivate him to try and win the ball back. It's part of who he is. And then when he's on the ball, you have all that quality that he's shown. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he, can, what he can do next season.
1: Yeah, I completely agree on Marcel in terms of it being a good move for his career. But, you know, obviously you talk about his career from a long-term perspective. But in fact, in terms of a level where he's going to be, you know, excelling now, I think this is a really good level for him to go in at and say, you know, I can... Actually, be effective at this level as the player I am now, and then as I yeah. develop, I'm going to outgrow this level, and then we'll see where I can go from there. But often, you know, you see players make a move like this from the perspective of what's good for their career in the long term. Um, but actually, in terms of how good a player they are in that moment, it may perhaps be too high a standard for them, um, you know, it's particularly initially when they go in. Um, but I think that's definitely not the case for Marcel, and he, he's got this one spot spot on you know in all aspects of the move but yeah with that being said I want to move on to to looking ahead towards next season for the academy you know we've got as always a lot of players who will be moving up from the 18s to the 23s but there is one player um, at first who I want to focus on he's only ever played a few games for the 23s I think last season before he was ruled out for the best part of twelve months, really, with a with a really nasty knee injury, um, and that's uh, Javier Simons, who who I absolutely loved watching as part of a, a midfield pairing along Lewis Bate in the FA Youth Cup last season. I think before the lockdown, that would have been uh, the very first lockdown, and um, yeah, he's got a skill set that really interests me because he's he's a very tall guy, um, but he's an excellent ball player, um, and he was really kind of the perfect. Foil to to Lewis Bate in, in that midfield pivot, um, and yeah, I wonder whether you have any thoughts on, I guess, what he wants to be targeting as he comes back from injury, Joe.
0: He he interests me because first of all, like I love sort of holding midfielders and tough tackling midfielders. That's like my bread and butter growing up, um, and I think the reason that I, I like him so much is that I I feel. Certainly now that that every kind of young midfielder growing up wants to be this sort of box to box kind of attacking number eight, who scores like 20 goals and, you know, is, is super skillful and, and loves, you know, loves making sort of really kind of daring and, and insane passes. Whereas I think with, with, um, with Javier, um, when I watch him and I, I watch him quite frequently, you know, his... His ability to be the perfect kind of support player to support somebody in that position. I particularly like him in a double pivot. I think he is exceptionally good as kind of the ball winning, calming kind of influence. And in a very, very strange way, and it's just maybe as I'm talking about this, it's sort of come to me. All right, he's not he's not the same size as him, but he reminds me of Nemanja Matic when Matic was at his best at Chelsea, that controlling physical presence in midfield that excellently can partner, somebody who is a little bit more energetic, like a Cante. somebody who wants to press, somebody who wants to get into the box, somebody who wants to make late runs. And I think the fact that he, I don't know if he's almost kind of settled on that, that kind of role um, himself or that he's sort of stepped into it naturally, but the fact that he can perform that sort of very disciplined, intelligent role at such a young age and he's not chasing the game, he's not chasing his towel, he's not trying to be, you know, Steven Gerrard on steroids, you know, he's he's trying to, actually be sort of the the, the 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 kind of like the foundational base of the midfield at times that that kind of that sort of mental approach that he has to the game for me is is the thing that I probably love the most about him and I think now going forward I'm hopeful that you know he comes he comes back in um I think he, he will need for me to sit in house a little bit to get up to speed again, but chelsea I think maybe have lacked that kind of presence that he had in the team. Um, this season, I think from a physical standpoint, they you know, watching like McEachin and Bate plays is is absolutely amazing. It's so fun to see them play together. But sometimes I think you would miss if you're trying to look at sort of building the structure of the team, somebody like Simmons being in the middle um, is is for me, I think allows you to kind of build around a little bit more and have a little bit more structure to the team. So I think he's he, is, he is different, he's a different player than what we're used to. I mean, you think of all the players that get all the, the attention, you know, you've got Webster, you've got Andrew in Part Harris, you know, obviously Ruben previously, Connor Gallagher, uh, Mason, et cetera. They're all guys who break forward, they score goals, you know, they're they're sort of swashbuckling, they're involved in that sort of end of the pitch. Whereas I think with 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 you know, Simmons, for me, it's it's almost the opposite of that. And I th- I like the fact that he's kind of taking that approach because I think, you know. In a weird way, if you look at sort of the, the future of, of of Chelsea as a team, we could use somebody like of kind of his profile, maybe like, you know, four years old or, you know, whatever it's going to be. But he may have, I think, an opportunity to, to sort of feature at Chelsea because it's almost like McTominay at United. You know, he's happy to do the hard yards. He's happy to do the hard work. He's happy to let others shine around him. He's happy to be that player that almost acts as kind of a catalyst for like other midfielders around him. And I think if you can produce if he you know comes back from, from injury and actually is is similar in terms of his because he's, you know, he's a very mobile and agile guy. He's very similar in terms of, of how he can how we can sort of operate and how he moves and how he sort of fits back into the team. He could be a very, very dark horse of somebody who actually gets an opportunity at Chelsea because that kind of profile of player, even if it's somebody who is um, you know, playing, even if it's, you know, 20, 30 starts or whatever a season in in, in sort of particular games. He really gives you the ability to set a foundation and play off of him. So I do like him as a player. I think he's been one that I've had an eye on for a while. I think this season, actually, you've probably kind of seen him him being missed in, in some capacity because I think at times when I've watched the, certainly the, the development squad, for kind of you know the last couple of parts of the season, that sort of middle area of the pitch was at times kind of open. And I think that's where he sort of thrives in sort of solidifying those areas. So, yeah, I think one to keep an eye on. I hope that he does come back in in terms of like his sort of physical capacity and somewhere near near his best because he does have um, you know a lot of I think a lot to add to this team. And I think that the compliment that I'll give him just to finish up here is that you may not notice him all the time when he's playing, but you definitely notice him not being there when he's not playing. So he's almost like a kind of a Didier Deschamps kind of player. Whereas I think you know. Long, long time ago, back in the day, Deschamps, I'm not I'm not talking about the Chelsea version because he was terrible, but before that, certainly for France and things of that nature, people would often look at him, you know, his nickname was the water carrier. You know, what does this guy do? He doesn't do anything on the pitch, yada, yada, yada. But you took him out of that French team, you took him out of the teams that he was playing in, and you absolutely noticed there was a massive hole in that middle area. And I think with with Xavier, that, that is what I've seen, certainly at times this season for Chelsea, he may not be the most noticeable, most eye-catching, most, you know, uh, you know, Tino Andrew beating six people and putting him in the top corner kind of player but when you take him out of the team you definitely notice his absence.
1: You know Joe I wish we had time to talk more about more players but unfortunately we've got <laughs> to bring it to close in the next few minutes. I want to talk about a few more players, um, two more in fact. One you just mentioned there Tino Andri we'll save him for last but just before that I want to spend a few minutes talking about um, this year's um, Academy Scholar of the Year, Alfie Gilchrist, who's been ever present at the back uh, for the under-18s, often captaining the side, and then I think he also stepped into the 23s for for his debut at that level uh, towards the end of the season. Um, I was wondering if you've, well, what he'll be looking at next season, really, because often you see um, defenders spending more like two years in the under-18s before moving up to the Dev Squad, compared to kind of, well. The, the rest of other positions midfielders and attackers who who may only spend one year before moving up um do you think that he is that good that he can already make that step up as soon as next season or do you think he'll maybe just be doing the same as most of his age mates and and stick around the 18s for one more year
0: yeah this is a this is a good one um i personally i would like to see him make the step up um i think that he is intelligent enough i do think that he is good enough to play uh, more in the in the dev squad kind of permanently. Um I think that the theme that kind of maybe sets him apart from from others who will possibly kind of flip between playing for the eighteens and the twenty threes, nineteens, obviously we're we're back in the in the UEFA youth league next season. Um finally. Yeah, I know. It's been a long time coming. Um I just think that he has it, it's weird. It's almost like he's, you know, he's like a 28-year-old player at times. I can, I mean that in sort of like, not that he's like near the end of his career, but more the fact that he he plays the game, I think, in such a kind of mature and disciplined fashion. Um, you know, I'm expecting <clears throat> probably from from the 23s uh, or people that have played there, I think Levi Cole will probably go out on loan. Obviously, uh, Pierre, uh, I can never say his surname, Akamba. Probably something like that. P P P E E. -E There you go. Yeah. P uh, Equack. Yeah. I'm going to call him P. P has gone um, to to West Ham. He obviously played a bit. I'm not sure whether Daniel uh, Daniel Simu is going to be is going to be around. So there there are some openings. I think for. For players there. Um, I, I think hopefully, you know, getting to partner somebody like Xavier and Biamba, for example, would be very good for him. Um, and maybe they can start developing a bit of a relationship at that level. But I just think with the outgoings with players that are probably looking to be released or being moved on, um, players going out on knowing that there are some quite big shoes to fill in that 23s group um, sort of coming this season. So I think maybe it's going to be I don't know, kind of baptism by fire a little bit. And I'm you know, not say that he's he's absolutely like completely wet behind the ears and has no idea what he's doing, but it is a big step up to start being a regular for, for the 23s versus playing in sort of under 18 football. So I think he has the ability. I think he has the intelligence, most importantly, to play there. Um, but I think it will be certainly early on a bit of a steep learning curve for him. But I do hope that, you know, with with time that he can show that he can be an effective centre-back. I'm not sure whether if I'm looking at him compared to others, I'm looking at sort of Cole Will and Mark Gurhey in particular in terms of players who possibly should get opportunities in the first team. I'm not sure if he's quite at their calibre, but I do think that he'll go and have a very, very good career in professional
1: football, whether it's at Chelsea um, or in in the Football League, for example. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, I'm not so sure on his potential because, to be honest, I haven't really seen enough of him to have formed a proper full opinion on that yet but yeah i think certainly in terms of moving up to the squad he's definitely got the kind of acumen required for that um finally we'll move it on to tino andrew and i'll open this one up to you path um it's been a frustrating season for him on the periphery of the first team you know the change in manager and the need to um to very much continue playing the first team until you know the very last league game in order to to secure top four along with a deep champions league run has meant that he really hasn't got many minutes and then when he has dropped down to to 23's level he's looked well <laughs> pretty much insanely too good for the level i mean i hate to use a cliche but he yeah he really did look like a man amongst boys, um, despite perhaps being a little bit kind of not really that bothered, which which I honestly I don't blame him for at all. Um, but yeah, next season, what are the steps he needs to make? He needs football, hundred percent. Yeah,
2: that's He needs he needs minutes. Otherwise, you just think it's gonna it's gonna come that player who just sticks around because he signed his contract. He signed what was it, four or five years, like last year on lumps. He just needs football, so I think I think yeah, it turns out is he's, he's done a year of training under Chelsea. Like you don't be that a year of coming up against Thiago Silva day in day out. Like you're not going to get much better than that, and. He's very talented and he would have learned under two managers with Lampard and Tucker. And he's, he got a minute. He did get a few. Okay. I mean, um, didn't get many, but he, he started the Krasnodar, which I think he was the best player on the pitch, to be honest. And he even came on against, um, I think it was Barnsley right in the FA Cup when Zieck and Politik had a shocker. Um, and he actually did all right. Um, so I think you, you can see there are developments in his game, but he needs to go out. He will have championship clubs interested in him. He probably will have Bundesliga as well. So yeah, he will have options and, okay, you may not want to go on loan because you think your opportunity there. there. Um, but you, 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 he, since he signed his contract, I think you go on loan, come back in the, se- the season after, Tuchel will probably be here. We're just going to assume that Tuchel knows what he's like and he can integrate him straight into the team. I think it's a perfect move for him.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. He needs that loan. And, and for me, the most important thing for, for him in particular is that he gets out on that loan real nice and early because... We've seen what having little or you know even no preseason at the loan club can do. I mean, especially with players like him, with no well, pretty much no prior experience of senior football. You know, he's he's not going to be playing international football this summer. So, you know, get that loan deal sorted with the right club. Get him out nice and early so that he has a full preseason with that club. Um, you know, there's no need to keep him around for any of our preseason because Tuchel's already had a good long look at him. Uh, you know, throughout the season in training and, and in that small game time that, that he did get under Tuchel, um, and and hopefully just get him playing some regular football at, at a decent level, and I'm sure that the fantastic player we all know, um, he is will will rise to the fore. Um, unfortunately that's all we have time for today I mean I wish we could prick your brains for, for longer Joe and I'm sure we will be able to in the future but for today that's that's going to have to be it thanks so much for joining us
0: yeah I really appreciate it guys it's uh, it's nice to you know remove yourself a little bit from the uh, the transfer madness that's happening at the moment and also just some of the boring kind of repetitive first team discussions so I'd much rather have a, a good chat about the, uh, the under 23s 18s etc so yeah appreciate having me on and uh, de- definitely something I've
1: been uh, enjoyed and thanks so much as well path really enjoyed it
2: thank you mate it's been a pleasure and i've just, just enjoyed listening to joe speak to us. honest
1: <laughs> well all right great um <laughs> with that said i think that's a brilliant note to end the pod on um thanks so much again to joe and and most of all thanks to you the listener um do recommend us to a friend leave a five star review on itunes you know these things do really make a, a big difference but but yeah um hope you enjoyed Thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next time.